Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful Northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio, sir, to our live show that we put on every single week to bring you guys our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world, what's happening today. And also, uh, the joy of you all being able to see the kind of dumb things that I do. So, uh, fun technical difficulties there. There was nothing. There was absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever with the uh, with the broadcaster. It was all me. Um, the volume was down. It was my fault. Anyway, um, <laughs> got a lot of stuff to do. Um, a lot of really interesting things to do for the show today. Interestingly enough, just uh, wanting to make sure uh, that everything's up. We are up on Rumble. For those of you who are still trying, who you know are catching us uh, uh, as a podcast or any of these other uh, places, I just want to remind you all um, that you can watch this live every Saturday at, or Sunday. I'm sorry, every Sunday at noon, um, you'll you are able to see us live uh, on Rumble. Get on the chat and do all of those other. Wonderful and joyful things. And obviously, we'd love to have you uh, come in and see it. So uh, that's what we're doing. But there is so much uh, insane stuff going on that we really, really, really need to dive in. And the first thing that I want to bring up, the first uh, thing that I want to talk about is 100% this dumb story uh, where... It shouldn't even be a news story, but it's where the lady, uh, she's a physician's assistant. Everyone calls her a nurse, uh, but she's actually a physis- physician's assistant, which is a different thing, um, where she got into an argument with a black teenager, I guess, over a bike. She had rented a bike, and then um, uh, for and then for some reason, uh, someone else thought that they had rented the bike, blah, blah, blah. Things ensue. Uh, they record her. Go on. Tell so me where I'm wrong. this is a common scam mm. that is being done with any of the things where you can do the bike rental via the app or renting a scooter via an app is uh, essentially criminals will change the numbers, will peel off the number stickers on the bikes that are sitting all together. And so when you say you through the app purchase a bike, it says it's like, oh, bike number five is the bike that's yours. And then you get there and bike number five is still locked and bike number 20 is unlocked. And you go, well, that's the one that I must have unlocked. And they're like, oh, nope, sorry, this is number, number 20. And then some criminal just is just waiting around for you to unlock the bikes and they just grab the one that got unlocked and run away. Okay, so this is um, so so this is a tactic that's been seen before um, yeah. to ba- basically make it to where uh, you can get base- a free bike rental. Basically, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so it's it's a scam that is being pulled in places where they do these uh, bike rentals. So it's not just a random group of teens. It's this is a scam that is happening in numerous places for people to steal the bikes from these uh, bike rental app-based bike rental things. <laughs> the youths. But the thing is, the most interesting thing about that is that is a well-known scam by law enforcement. Hmm. And it was curious that no one thought to interrogate that before they just decided, well, white lady on video being mean to black guy, clearly racism. Right. 
Well, right, of course. And but this this is where this is where it all gets very very interesting. Um because <laughs> um the it's it's interesting because not only there's been a lot of discussion and, and uh one of one of the people uh that I follow on on Twitter um whose last name slips me cuz she just got married Cassandra Fairbanks was her um uh, maiden name Cassandra Fairbanks she, she writes for like the Gateway Pundit one of the things that she brings up that I thought was interesting about this so obviously I know like a lot of people have discussed it and um the the normal and and rational take that everybody has on this is that like number one and this is kind of the thing we're going to dive into for the beginning of the show is number one everybody kind of discussing the idea of like how can you how can liberals tell us that white supremacy is so pervasive and it's so wounding to black America, especially the black youth? And then you see actions like this that completely defy that worldview. Obviously, they're not afraid of right. white people because you don't do these things if you are. But at the exactly. same time, this, you know, this woman gets this, this woman got um, suspended from her job. The hospital obviously immediately reacted to an edited video and a bunch of civil rights people who were screaming that this was racism. And the dumbass hospital then turned around and was like, oh, God, we have to get rid of the evil racist. Uh, so all of that occurred. And now uh, this woman is suing media outlets. She's going to be suing civil rights people. She's going to be suing her former employer or current employer, depending on what the terms of all of that are. Uh, because of defamation, because everybody jumped on the racism train. But what was interesting, Good. and it, I think it's Cassandra McFarland now, the interesting thing that she brought up that I thought was uh, great was some of the responses from the lawyers. Like, well, she always has supported diversity and equity and like, you know, racial, whatever the nonsense and BLM and all this other garbage. Did this woman now, don't get me wrong. It's totally fine that people highlight this as being what is falling apart in the United States, how this needs to be handled, how obviously the media jumps on racial narratives. But would is it reasonable to say that in some ways this woman got what she voted for? If, if let's, she's let's been say voting if, Democrat, mm -hmm. if she's been voting Democrat in the place where she lives, then yes, this is exactly, if she has a Black Lives Matter sign up in her house, this is exactly the logical outcome of all of the things that she supports. Right. And and now don't, uh, what I what I saw in some of the comments that people were making uh, yesterday uh, to this, to this statement is it, it doesn't mean that you can't think that it's an injustice and that you can't defend this woman. But at a certain point, there does need to be an acknowledgement that you get what you vote for. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, people need to learn that. People need to learn that there are consequences to your votes, guys. And I know a lot of our audience knows that, but like a lot of the liberals out there, like they need to understand that there are consequences to their votes. Well, and that's why I think stories like this are really good, especially when they get blown out of proportion immediately. And then when it turns out the, the white person did nothing wrong and it mm -hmm. was entirely due to basically black criminality that the situation even existed. This lady, the, my hope is that this lady basically is now basically was radicalized by this mm -hmm. and is going and now going, maybe I should rethink all of make, when my friends say like when I go to their house and there's a Black Lives Matter sign, 
what is she going to think? Is she going to go, yep, absolutely, totally support that 100%? Or is she going to look at it and think, these people were, like, jumped on me to, to at the, you know, at the, at, uh, the first opportunity to try and push this race-baiting narrative, they probably are doing that about other stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, additionally to that point, uh, another thing that's notable on that is certainly like regardless of all of it, like maybe, maybe she normally wouldn't have changed her mind or, or what have you. I, I think the biggest effect to her is that none of that virtue signaling saved you. It didn't matter that you supported all this crap. It didn't matter that you had all the hashtags in your bio. It didn't matter that you had any of that. You're a white woman. Didn't matter. Yeah. Because let's be honest here. A lot of the reason why you see, you know, um, primarily the most targeted demographic by the, uh, by the Democrat party and the liberal left is, um, college educated white suburban women. Well, you know, like the reason why, uh, that is the kind of primary demographic that jumps on the pronoun bandwagon, the hashtag bandwagon, the current thing bandwagon is because they think it absolves them of some sort of guilt that they've been tricked into believing that they hold. And then situations like this completely destroy that narrative. Which is good because a lot of America lives in this fantasy world that is not, that is completely alternate to the real reality that that exists around them. And especially with things about race, a lot of people have let the media instruct them on what the reality is about race-based crime in America. And the reality is very different. There is not this over there is not this overwhelming amount of white violence against blacks that is causing any sort of injustice. If anything, it's the other way around. Right. Well, I mean, you you have to remember that white supremacy is the greatest uh, terrorism threat to the United States, according to uh, uh, the lying liars, leaders. Yeah, according to our glorious leaders. uh, So so much so, I mean, that's a Joe Biden brought that up um, in a in a, uh, a commencement speech at Howard University. You know, he just so happens to be giving a commencement. By the th- th- this is another thing that I think a, l- a lot of people like. I, I understand it, but a lot of people don't notice. There's not a lot of commentary on it. Is how much absolute pandering Joe Biden does to black people, and how much it doesn't work. Which is the more impressive like statistic here is Joe Biden panders more than any president I've ever seen to the black community. And it is always and consistently an abject failure. So of course, when commencement speeches are happening, you know, cause there's college graduations occurring, what's the place he goes to? He goes to Howard university, a historically black college. And that's where he gives his commencement speech. And what does he talk about? Well, I'm fighting against white supremacy, the evilness that is white supremacy. And it's just to, to, to the point we're making, like, if you need any other proof that this is all like, I don't, we don't need to prove to our audience that this is just a dog whistle for going after their political opponents, because of course, anyone who disagrees with the liberal left is a white supremacist, uh, to give you an idea that there's not really a threat of white supremacy, there's a TikTok trend going around uh, that is invariably, it's it's currently occurring in the United Kingdom. And if it comes here to the yeah. United States, um, 
I promise you an aspiring scholar is going to end up getting put in the freaking ground and it's going to be a national news story. Um, and I fear that it is going to be just the, the largest amount of gaslighting and idiocy that we've ever experienced in our lives. So what this trend sure. is, is it is specifically black teenagers that are either walking into people's houses and videotaping themselves, basically just jackassing into somebody's house, like kind of, kind of bullying them, like wandering into the house and being like, no, I'm going to sit here on this couch. No, like, you know, what, like, what you going to do? And people um, are very politely going, uh, you need to get out of my house. You need to leave. And then it's a lot of, no, bro. We were told there was a study group here. We were told. And these people are trying to like, get out of my house. Yeah. And of course it's the UK. So no one has guns and no one has any ability to defend themselves so all they can do is impotently shout and until these black youths giggling <laughs> decide okay and then like wander back out into the street and the other one is now also doing it to cars which is you know wandering into a car and pretending like you thought that they were your uber yeah and it's like opening the door to a car and people are like get out, get out of my car go, go away leave me alone it's like this is an uber isn't this an uber bro and like keep opening cars running around the car opening multiple different doors while this poor person is just like stop leave me alone i just need to get to work what the hell and because these people because most minorities feel they have absolutely there's no ramifications to their negative behavior because that's what the liberals have taught them. That's what the reforms to law enforcement have created, that there are no negative ramifications to their behavior. They feel complete freedom to victimize white people at will. Yeah, so um, <laughs> it's funny because I have the live chat open, but then instead I'm not seeing everyone's chat. I'm getting them as emails, which is weird. That's a weird thing, Rumble. Don't be weird. Um, uh, but... To, to the to the other point um what what i will say is fascinatingly on, on that um it comes over to the united states it starts getting popularized here some kid sure. is going to get shot that is that that's what's going to happen they're going to wander into somebody's house right. Right. they're going to be jackassing around with their phone out um and then they're going to get shot and this is exactly how this is going to go down the media is going to is going to immediately uh, feign horror that this poor kid got shot, and then the argument the argument that's going to happen is he's standing there recording himself with his phone. Obviously, it wasn't a threat. That's going to yeah. be the line that they use. That this kid was murdered, lynched. I think now because the, the any any time yeah, a black guy dies, he's uh, he's been lynched. Um, he was lynched. Um, like they might even say, like, oh, of course it was dumb. It's a stupid TikTok trend. Like, yeah, we all acknowledge that it was not, dumb. That's no reason he should be murdered. Yeah, but he shouldn't have been murdered. He obviously wasn't hurting anybody. He had his phone out and was recording. What robber's gonna exactly. do that? Or it'll be, he was having a mental health crisis, and this is not who we are as a country. Yeah, no. <laughs> so He was yeah. having a mental health episode, and we need to be blah, blah, blah. Essentially, it'll be a bunch of, like we see every time this happens, it'll be a bunch of nonsense to with the sole goal of distracting people away from what actually occurred and placing blame where it rightfully belongs. Well, and, and that's that's what's amazing. It, it, it's just... 
you know it'll be you know aspiring scholar gets shot by like evil white man uh for for just having fun yeah for simply trying to get some lulls on the youtubes or well on tiktok i don't know why showing my age i guess well and then of course what do they always say with these he valued people this this white guy valued his privacy in his own home more than he valued the life of black and brown bodies. Yeah, you don't you don't have the right to just murder somebody for walking through your door. Yeah, you you do though. <laughs> right, and that's that's where all of the, the problem is. This is because the media has consistently lied about black crime, and because the media and government continually pander to my, the bad behavior of minorities and enable it. And reduce all the law enforcement penalties that usually that, that keep this stuff under control. It is inevitably going to cause racial conflict. It will absolutely cause increased racial conflict that will boil over somewhere somehow, and that is going to make things worse for everybody. Right. And unfortunately, it is going to set us up for a period of pain while these things get worked out. But inevitably, it's going to something is going to have to break, and something's going to have to happen that will be very frustrating and bad to deal with. It's right. the same as when you see pictures of people ransacking stores and shoplifting everything that isn't bolted down. Eventually, those people are going to have to get shot because the police or arrested, and either law enforcement can start doing its job and arresting those people and protecting businesses and protecting people's homes and property. But because the left has undermined law enforcement to such a degree, what's going to happen first is people are going to take their own personal protection into their own hands. And they only have they have a very limited tool set with which to do so, which pretty much is going to be either lethal or it's people are either going to have to start assaulting or shooting people. And well, it it's I mean, it, that's going to happen and it's going to be all over the news in the most disingenuous way possible. Well, so like um, uh, HDR cynical is bringing up uh, the, the Ralph Yarl Yarl case, which is what I keep referencing great, when great I say case. aspiring, yeah. um, aspiring scholar, because uh, that's how the media covered it. But there's also a case that happened uh, about six days ago um, mm. where, so in, in Walgreens in San Francisco, a, a, uh, a transgender, a woman pretending Gross. to be a man, uh, was stealing a bunch of stuff from uh, a Walgreens, as is their favorite place to do such. Uh, and the security guard uh, puts them basically into a chokehold and they keep struggling. And then the uh, person gets away and the security guard shoots her. And... Okay. She ends up dying and she went by the name. So her, her, her actual name was China, but she went by the name Banco Brown. Um, that was, that was, that was, a, that was her, uh, her man, her man name. Um, and of course there's a bunch of protests here. Now, the reason why you haven't really heard about this on the media is because both of the people involved here are black security guard was black Banco Brown black. If the security guard was white, it would be a national story. And I promise you, the district attorney in uh, San Francisco would have charged the security guard. Sure. Um, but that's not happening. Hmm. 
Um, but there are obviously protests of justice for Banco Brown. And it's, you know, they, they were just this wonderful artist and activist and such a great, sweet person. And it was like, no, no, like, like back it up a little bit. They were stealing shit from a Walgreens. And, and also during the entire like wrestling match and whatever with the security guard, uh, she kept telling the security guard, I'm going to stab you. So oh, she sounds lovely. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> she? No, he. No, she. She. It is a it is a mm. born female born female oh, okay. that claimed to be a man. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's always hard to know how these things work out. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a female to male. You know, you know like the one that went and shot all those kids in a Christian school. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. That specifically detoured to shoot up a stained glass um, picture of Adam and Eve? Yeah. Well, uh, of course. Maybe that was the real target and the kids got in the way. <laughs> um, <clears throat> rude. Um, okay, not funny. Uh, no, but the, um, yeah, that, but that's exact, that, that's exactly it. That is exactly the problem. Uh, right there. Well, and and I I think another thing is that's not a big news story, and we all know why. It's not a news story, uh, because <laughs> it's not a news story, uh, because they can't. There's not a racial component there, uh, and so that right. that also needs to be noted. Uh, K wrote on our live chat says it takes it takes some real balls to go female to male. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> That's why I started laughing in the middle of my statement. Um, but it, it, it's funny because we also have uh, it, it, it. You also have the Jordan Neely case where right. in, in and once again, one, you know, once again, these uh, these craven politicians. It's so OK. OK, actually, let, let me ask this question. So we've got the whole Jordan Neely case, which is uh, for, for those of you who, who kind of need to be reminded. You had Daniel Perry, who is a Marine that ended up uh, choking out and killing Jordan Neely, who was a mentally ill homeless man on a uh, on a subway car that was screaming things like, I don't care if I go to jail and I want to die and being, you know, yeah, a crazy homeless passengers. man. You've seen this crazy You've... homeless man that starts attacking passengers, multiple passengers gang up to take this guy down before he hurts someone. Mm -hmm. And in the process, uh, was it David or Daniel Perry? I think it's Daniel Perry. Yeah. He is basically behind him and pulls a Marine Corps combatives move and gets this guy in a rear naked chokehold, which cuts off, can cut off oxygen to the brain, which is why it is an effective move in combatives. And, Cuts off the oxygen to this guy's brain, and eventually he dies. Right. Well, if the police were doing their job, if if Jordan Neely should never have been in the position where a crazy homeless man was was menacing people on the subway, right? It's like that that situation didn't used to need to be the case, but it is the case now because they defunded the police. Yeah, I mean, well, there's certainly that. Plus, I mean, are the police going to want to, you know, if this was a cop? that ended up trying to restrain Jordan Neely and this same thing happened because yeah. by the way, I don't believe, I don't believe we have the medical examiner's report. Maybe we do, but right. it's not like Maybe. they're allowed to say one way or the other. But the thing I will point out to you is of course, like 
every single time that they have a martyr, this is the situation we find ourselves. So why can't, why, why don't the Democrats ever seem to get a martyr that doesn't have like a long criminal history and is otherwise yeah. just very untoward? So 2015, Jordan Neely kidnapped a seven-year-old. In 2019, Neely attacked an old man. 2021, Neely attacks a 67-year-old woman and broke her nose. Was given and Jordan lovely. Neely was given a golden ivory casket and had Al Sharpton yeah. and uh, Al Sharpton eulogizing him. And then uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez going to, you know, a, a member of Congress going to the funeral. And none of these people, including all of his family, who were at the funeral weeping tears and talking about how they're going to sue the city, none of those people had time for him when he was alive. Yeah, he was a crazy this, homeless man on the subway. Mm, if there was all this support network that cared so deeply about this misbegotten street performer, why was he a crazy homeless man on the subway so and this, not being cared for by any of these people that supposedly shed so many tears about it? This is this is a this is a really fantastic point that nobody else is making, and and I'm I'm really glad you brought it up because one of the other things that I've seen noted is obviously there's a like, there's like a give send go or a GoFundMe account that was started up for Daniel Perry uh, because this guy is now facing like a a manslaughter in the second degree charge or something from DA Alvin Bragg. Uh, well, okay. he's raised two million dollars. Because so many people rushed to give this guy money because they think it's ridiculous he's being charged. I saw a bunch of Democrat propagandists basically horrified and trying to amplify uh, this fundraiser for Jordan Neely's family that had only raised like $125,000. And they were horrified by it. Like, what state of America are we in where this guy gets $2 million in this poor family? And to your point... Where the hell was this family when this guy's having yes. a mental breakdown? When why is he homeless? What like like in all honesty, this this is the this is the way that this is the way that the media really screws with people's heads and, and really doesn't doesn't allow them mm -hmm. the capability of critically thinking for a second. But think about it. There are a bunch of Democrat propagandists that are now basically encouraging poor stupid liberals to donate money to a family so they can get this windfall of cash for doing what exactly for not giving a shit about their own family member and allowing him to be homeless and have a mental health yeah. crisis in front of strangers. Those people are supposed to get a windfall of money. Are you shitting me right now? Again, all of this is theater to distract from the reality of the situation, which is a hero Marine saved a bunch of people from a dangerous homeless man on the subway. Exactly. That's the story that we should be seeing right now. But unfortunately, because that would mean acknowledging black crime, we can't have that. It has to be we have to demonize the white guy so nobody else takes matters into their own hands when confronted with the massive black crime wave that our policies have created.
Right. And now when you talk about the massive black crime wave, I've obviously I've heard, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different people that, that discuss it. Sometimes they try to tiptoe around it, right? Because they, the minute you say something like massive black crime wave, everybody starts sure. screeching, um, screeching racism. But the reality of it is the, the reality of it here is you've all heard the pejorative used as a Soros funded DA, right? Yes. Well, a Soros-funded DA is a district attorney that obviously was funded by George Soros, and they're typically looked at as, quote, soft on crime. But that's not exactly how that works. That's not exactly how that works. And let me explain. For example, the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, is a Soros-funded DA. He's the district attorney of Manhattan. Well, is he soft on crime when it comes to charging Donald Trump with a bunch of crimes for like misfiled business paperwork, which is the reality of his case, but he's trying to make it a federal case to try to keep Donald Trump from running. Is that soft on crime or is he soft on crime? Quotey fingers when he's uh, charging Daniel Perry with a second degree manslaughter. Is that soft on crime? Right. No, it's not. It's actually very harsh it's, on crime. Mm-hmm. The better way to put it is they are selective on crime. Yes. Crime from minorities. Those crimes get swept under the rug. People get let out on bail. They get very small sentences if they even get charged for real crimes. And if it is, say, a white guy standing up for himself or a shop owner, like also happened in New York, a shop owner shot and killed a guy trying to rob his business, threatening him with, I think, a knife. And that D.A. then charged the shop owner with murder. Yes, that D.A. was that was Alvin Bragg. Yeah. Yeah, same guy. And so it is when we say Soros fund is DAs, it is people that are selective on crime, seemingly with the goal of creating more crime. Well, and and I'll I'll, I'll explain to you exactly why these why, why this exists. So <clears throat> part of the whole liberal worldview is they believe st- stupidly that the justice system must be racist solely. Well, well, okay. No, they do believe this, and and let but let me expand on it. They believe that the justice system is racist solely solely from the concept that there are more minorities in prison than their percentage of the population. Which the only way that that makes sense is if there was some sort of equal representation in crime. Now, right. a lot of logical, rational, and normal people would look at it and say, well, crime is more prevalent in the inner city and in impoverished areas, and also minority uh, distribution is more prevalent in the inner city uh, and in more impoverished areas. So this would make sense. Like the higher crime statistics make sense, but you you, sure. you can't scream racism there. And the reason why this upsets the left so much is it becomes a uh, community responsibility to try to reduce those numbers. You can't create a government program uh, that incentivizes people to vote for you by telling them that they need to, you know, stop basically stop. stop criminal culture within their own community. Nobody wants that. They, right. they can't monetize that. They can't turn that into votes. They can't turn that into fundraising. So instead, they have to say the justice system is racist. Well, once they've taken that view that the justice system is racist, 
That means that they will invariably not charge people based on their race. Right. It's called restorative justice. There, thank you. You're going to be it's restorative justice. These people are committing crimes through no fault of their own. They've just been they're outcast from society. And the Jordan Jordan Neely thing is a great example. He's just a poor out misunderstood outcast from society. It's not his fault. He didn't do nothing. It's society. It's white society that's to blame for creating the conditions that all these poor blacks find themselves committing all of these horrible crimes. And so they look at it and say, well, since they're not to blame, we can't punish them harshly. Because they're really, at the end of the day, not to blame. It's white supremacy. It's the white privileged white society that's created the conditions for these poor black people to commit all these crimes. Because, of the, And that is how you get these situations developing. And it's also why we are seeing a massive crime wave, crime wave across every major U.S. city. Every, almost every, every single major U.S. city, with probably a few exceptions, but everything, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle... You know, every major city with a large black population is seeing a huge increased crime crime wave because of this idea that blacks can't commit, don't commit any crimes. They're just oppressed by this horrible society and forced into just stealing to feel they're stealing and to feed their families. Now, why anyone needs to murder and rape to feed their families, I'm not really sure how that works, but. I'm sure that that is covered under these same things. That, oh, these, they're just having a mental health episode because they live in a horrible white supremacist country, and that's why they need to break into a woman's house and rape her. It's, and you say, like you said, Soros-funded DAs are enabling this. Congressmen and politicians are enabling this. It's, this is the basis of all of these defund the police measures that Black Lives, the, this Black Lives Matter group have capitalized upon. It's not like, it's all this reverse justification. They wanted to do this and then waited and said, well, this George Floyd guy got killed. That will be our trigger. And they keep looking for any of these cases that they can exploit to basically keep driving this point home of blacks didn't do nothing and anything negative that every single negative outcome and inequality of blacks is due solely to racism and cannot be any other factor. Right. Well, because and, mm -hmm. if it's racism, that allows them to demonize their hated minority, which is white people. And, and that's really, I think, their, their primary goal is we don't have to solve any problem. We just have to keep the problems going so we can scream about our you know, hated, white, hated racist white people. And then we can keep getting elected. It's the same reason why they never actually pass a law that legalizes abortion because they want to keep abortion being a political football. It's the same reason why they will probably never pass amnesty for illegal immigrants because they want to keep these people in a state of limbo so they can be a political football. Right. Well, and, and it, it, what's amazing is it's developing this culture that almost pretends like it's academic that will basically just call anything that they find inconvenient white supremacy. There was a Medium article that I shared on our Twitter that is fascinating. And I'm still not entirely convinced that this isn't satire, but here we are. It is titled, Why Waking Up Early is Rooted in White Supremacy. 
<laughs> and here's 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 the intro. The notion of waking up early and starting your day with the rising sun is often associated with productivity, success, and a strong work ethic. However, this seemingly <laughs> innocuous concept is not without its historical and cultural implications. In this article, we will explore the origins of the early rising narrative and how it is rooted in white supremacy, contributing to the perpetuation of racial inequalities. The origins oh, wow. of early rising ideology. The idea that waking up early leads to success and a disciplined life can be tracked back to various historical and religious contexts. In the Western world, this belief has been strongly influenced by Protestantism and the Puritan work ethic, which emphasized hard work, diligence, and self-discipline as virtues. This work ethic has long been considered an essential component of the American dream. And the idea that success can be achieved through dedication and effort. The intersection of early rising and white supremacy. The early rising ideology is not inherently racist. However, its connections to white supremacy can be seen when examining the broader historical and social contexts. During the era of European colonialism the, and, and the Atlantic slave trade, the concept of hard work and productivity became intertwined with race. Oh. Enslaved Africans were forced to work tirelessly from sunrise to sunset, and their white oppressors often used the rhetoric of hard work and discipline to justify their inhumane treatment. This created a false narrative that Africans were inherently lazy and, need, and needed the civilizing influence of their white masters to teach them the value of work. Well, you're certainly disproving that by saying that Getting up early is white supremacist. <laughs> anyway, the stereotype yeah. has persisted and continues to be perpetuated in various forms, such as model minority as the model minority myth, which suggests that certain racial and ethnic groups are inherently more disciplined and successful than others. So I love it. Um, well, I'm going to keep going, but there, there, so mm -hmm. you're upset that there is, you know, this. Uh, <clears throat> stereotype that black people are lazy, but yeah. you're writing an article that literally says it's racist to ask black people to get up early. <laughs> I, exactly. Well, that, and then this whole model minority myth is a fascinating thing to bring up because mm -hmm. by every metric, it's true. It's like you look at Asian, say uh, you look at Asian populations in mm -hmm. the United States they are generally it's like it's a myth this model minority like yeah but asians cause almost no crime and they account for a and they're one of the few racial groups in the united states that generates more tax revenue than they take in welfare so well and that is what is that is what is kind of annoying about this is because by every metric Essentially, the white supremacists keep getting proved. The quote white supremacists are keep getting proved correct. As it's like, well, like if blacks can't wake up at the right time, like then why would I? Why should I want them around? And the question, I mean, it's it's this is a fascinating thing for me because it's, I can see where it comes from. 
do blacks actually have a hard time waking up on time? I don't really know. No. I think there's probably a lot of black people that work jobs and get up when they need to, and it's all fine. But it's because there is the stereotype that some liberal knows about, their effort to combat white supremacy or to be seen combating white supremacy for all their liberal journalist friends is to write an article like this. Right. So the purpose is not actually to try and overturn the idea. The purpose is essentially just a virtue signal that I'm standing up for the minorities. Well, and, and that's the thing is like, it, it, is, there, is, is there some sort of genetic thing um, when it comes to like, you know, blacks or whites or whomever when they wake up? No, no, there's not. There's not a thing at all. Like there's, it's just, it's, I mean, the thing is, if there is, that's a totally different debate than what this person is talking about. And then, uh, so, well, but here's the impact. It continues with the impact of the early rising narrative on racial inequality. The idea that waking up early is a sign of superior, of a superior work ethic and a key to success serves to reinforce racial inequalities in several ways. For one, it places the blame for economic disparities on the individual, rather than acknowledging the systemic barriers that hinder the success of marginalized communities. By promoting the notion that anyone can achieve success if they simply work hard and wake up early, it ignores the structural racism that has created and maintained these inequalities. Furthermore, the early rising narrative perpetuates the stereotype that people of color are lazy or lack discipline, which can have real world consequences in areas such as employment and education. This stereotype can lead to discrimination in the workplace and contribute oh, to no. the school to prison pipeline where students of color are disproportionately disciplined and pushed out of the, out of the education system. Real quick, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to comment on that because there's still more. Um, what if, now stay with me here, what if the reason why there's a school to prison pipeline and there's all of these quote inequalities is because at a young age, you literally tell black children that they have no chance in hell. Also that everything negative, er, that everything is not their fault. Yeah. They, zero is their like fault. You, they have no control over anything. Um, it's all because of white people. Like, white people control everything. And only only if you're lucky somehow will you make it. Yeah. And additionally, that there is absolutely no expectations for black behavior. Right. Since yeah. you're saying it, you it basically what a lot of these liberals and the and the institutions they run tell blacks there are no expectations for your behavior you can behave any way you want and if anyone takes issue with it it's because they're an evil racist that will create a group of people that have a very different set of priorities and values than would be helpful and productive in a society and because of that when they talk about inequalities in you know uh, in the ability to get a job in all of these other areas where there's this in, this bias against black people. That bias is because blacks behave negatively because they are told that there is no expectation for their behavior. People have biases against blacks because of what they see from blacks, not the other way around. Ex expound on that so people don't just think that, <laughs> don't just okay. think that you're going uh, for white power on them. Yeah. Uh, 
why would an employer essentially why why would people discriminate against black americans well it's because there is they because people from their interactions with blacks come to come to conclusions that they don't want to be around them because a lot of blacks people are around or at least see on the news or see being promoted in the media are blacks that behave in antisocial ways with zero ramifications to their behavior. And maybe a lot of, and maybe a lot of this is simply a, a um, fiction because it, but it is, if you like, look at all the blacks I constantly see on the news, I see George Floyd, Jordan Neely. I see, these youths victimize like running to people's homes. I see them victimizing people's cars. I see them protesting and burning down parts of their cities. I don't get a positive image from the black people that I see being promoted on television. And that, and then if I want to discriminate and say, you know, I kind of don't really want those people in my, like around me. That's not that is a that is not because I'm a deep seated racist at my core. It's because what I have seen from the black community makes me feel nervous for my own safety, having them around me. And the thing is, that view is also backed up by all the other statistics we have. If you have a black guy and a white guy in a room and one commits violence against another by all the statistics we have, it is 40 times more likely that the black will assault and victimize a white than the other way around. And that information comes from two sources. It comes from the actual crime statistics collected by the FBI, which is arrest, basically uh, arrest records. And all of those statistics show blacks are massively more violent and ca- cause a lot more violence and murder than whites it, uh, by per capita. And then it also is backed up by the crime victimization survey where the victims of crimes were asked to describe their attackers and the two numbers are the same so when people dive into this and try to uh, attack that as saying well all you know police departments are lying and the justice department's racist you're like yeah but all the victims of these attacks uh produce the exact same data the data is correct that there is a and, it, and it's what we all see in front of us. If you look at places like Chicago, a huge amount of the crime is from it comes from blacks. And so if you lived in Chicago and you were interacting with a highly criminal black population, you would, of course, start coming to the conclusion of I don't really want to be around these people. And if the media was in was essentially this and the media reinforces these ideas and so you get this situation where it's almost as if the media is actively encouraging people to naturally see patterns in front of them and then pointing to those very same patterns that people naturally and honestly came to and going, that's why this is a problem that's racist. If the media wanted me to be less biased against blacks, I would not be shown any negative representations of blacks in the media. But I constantly see this because i see it they would have the police clamping down as hard as possible on black crime so that people wouldn't get the idea that blacks are criminals they would have school black schools having extremely rigorous standards and expectations for their students so that people wouldn't look at black inner city schools and go wow that's a cesspool of illiteracy and inter-school violence but because we have no expectations for because they put no expectations on black Americans, black and 
you know, all the other negative things you mentioned, they essentially are rapidly degenerating into a highly criminal population that then justifies all of the bias against them. So, so ba- the the kind of long story short here, what it seems like you're mapping out is um, basically the concept of it's the bigotry of low expectations. So, yes, and the bigotry of low expectations creates is a it's not just the the bigotry of low expectations; it's the cycle of low expectations. Because there is such a low expectation, people behave in a way that justifies and encourages those low expectations. That basically. Uh, creates and that creates lower expectations well and and so i think i mean a lot of it uh, aside from like i don't know the uh the the idea that people put, would put necessarily an extreme amount of thought into what they saw on the news when they're like getting ready to like say hire a candidate I, I, I think yeah. a good amount of it when it comes to employment which by the way but by the way let me let me also state clearly like I have no evidence that any of this bullshit in this article is even true. They just claim that there's an inequality in the workplace. But let's pretend for a second because they can just make that up. They can just lie about this. The liberals do this all the time. They can just lie. So this could all be bullshit and we're trying to rationalize it. But the reality is, is, okay, if there is, and and this is kind of the point I want to get to, is... Everything that the left is doing that they are claiming is supposed to be supportive of people of color, as they say, is generating, as is normal with almost everything the liberals do, the opposite effect. I think America, America was doing pretty well in race relations 10 to 15 years ago. Now it is getting intensely worse because of all of the meddling that's occurring from the left and progressives when it comes to race. They are literally making normal people become racist. For And a good example of that is when you talk about employment. If you yeah. like, and, and it's not just racist, by the way, it can also be sexist and everything else. Let's just, let's just take not, not your normal person. You know, like there's plenty of people I know that are different races that are perfectly normal people. But let's take somebody who's just even a slightly outspoken advocate for something or an outspoken activist. If I had somebody show up to be employed and they came in and there's some skittle haired person that happens to be wearing like, I don't know, the LGBTQ symbol is earrings. You know what my my reaction isn't going to be? Oh God, it's a transgender and geez, I just don't agree with like how they live their lives and blah, blah, blah. I like, I, I generally, I'm not going to lie. I generally don't care about that. What I care about is, can you do your job? You know, can you do your job? Great. That's, that's what I give a shit about. But when I see that, I also, in the back of my head, I'm going to have to go, are you going to be a problem? Are you going to be a problem? That's another whole side. Is I think anymore, if you were an employer, you I couldn't fault you if you looked at hiring any minority and thought, if I ever have to discipline this guy, or if I ever have to fire this person, or if I ever have to have any negative employer-employee interaction, <clears throat> yep. which is absolutely possible with anyone you hire, 
will they be will they make it a giant race PR nightmare for me? Yep. And if it, if that person is a minority, the answer is going to be yes. Because yeah. there are, it has been proven time and again, there are huge resources and legions of lawyers out there ready to take a case and sue my company into the ground on the basis of racism alleged by a black employee. Yep. So if you were an employer, again, this is what this is the problem with, with the left doing this is because if you even if you believe all their rhetoric where every human being is absolutely equal and we are all interchangeable and there's no cognitive differences between races. We're all one race, the human race, but we do have different colored skin. You're like, well, I'll just hire white guys. I'll just hire Asians. I'll just hire, I will just hire people that can't claim racism because that's, then I don't have to, then that's a headache. I don't have to worry about. And it's not like I get any benefit from hiring black people because we're all one race, the human race, we're all the same. So I get the same level of productivity if I hire a white guy as if I hire a black, but now I don't have to worry about charges of racism? Hell yeah, let's do that. And government is at the same time trying to institute diversity hiring rules and ESG scores for companies so that they can't back away from hiring troublesome minorities. Troublesome minorities. <laughs> well, I, I mean, seriously, even if that person is a hard worker and never causes problems, if you were an employer, the perspective you would have to have if you cared about your business is, is this person a risk? Maybe risky minorities, because minorities are always going to be a risk as long as you have a liberal paradigm that is ready and willing to destroy a company over claims of racism. Right. And so it's a risk that a lot of companies would go, why do we need to take this risk? Why would we hire anyone but white men? Because they're the only ones that can't claim oppressive treatment. We're not going to hire women. We're not going to hire gays. We're not going to hire minorities. We're going to only hire the people that can't sue us for some sort of diversity, equity, and inclusion nonsense. Well, and I can't fault those companies from take, making that choice. Uh, let me let me. It would correct. actually be mm-hmm. almost violating your fiscal responsibility to shareholders to hire a bunch of minorities because you're raising the risk of a company getting sued into the ground. I, I'm going to make one correction here. The biggest business mistake that I've seen every single corporation in the United States make is hmm. not exclusively hiring women um, because you can pay them less. See, that also is true. That, that's that's actually a very good point. And the fact that they don't do that kind of proves to me that that whole claim was not really basist. No, it's not really based in reality. <laughs> I remember having that debate with somebody and they got like, I basically, basically I lost a friend because like we oh, were having no. a calm, we were having a calm discussion about it. Like she was talking about the gender pay gap. And I was like, I, yeah, I, I brought up kind of the normal, the normal pushback thing on it where it was like, yeah, like, this survey that you based all of this on is literally taking every man and every woman and just comparing their salaries. It's not job for job. It's not any of that. This is just women as a totality make less than men as a totality. But like more men are like, there's more men that are doctors and more women. Like there's almost, there's almost zero men that are stay at home parents. But there is a right. percentage of women that are stay-at-home parents, which would immediately skew those numbers. Um, Dramatically. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, it, obviously, she's like, well, no, but well, women are so much paid. They're paid so much less. Um, and I was like, that 
that's easily disproven. And she was like, well, fine, fine, go ahead, disprove it. And I was like, uh, any business would be stupid to ever hire a man if you could pay a woman 70 cents to a dollar. Right. Like, why wouldn't they exclusively hire women? And that resulted in her calling me a fucking misogynist and blocking me on all social media. And I've never heard from her again. Well, you were right. I know. (laughs) It was just, yeah, I know. (laughs) It was just like, really? And it was, but it's that common, it's that common sense thing. And, And I don't, um. Like I don't, I don't buy into, um, I, I, I don't, I don't buy into the whole like. For for me, I think that the left is very intent on wanting to create a race war. The inevitability of all of the leftist policies is they they want races to segregate from one another, and that is the entire point. They push these types of policies. Uh, they, they constantly tell every single minority group that they're a victim and here's the hated group. And it's because they want there to be a race war. And right. They, it, it's a divide and conquer strategy. If right. everybody's at each other's throats, then we both have, then would they government would have the essentially remit to do any level of social engineering it mm-hmm. deemed necessary in order to, reduce that conflict yeah and so and it also helps it so you can play it also means people wouldn't unify to oppose bad government policy it would become essentially all these different factions that hate each other that you can easily rule over and organize against each other so no one can get too powerful to oppose you rather than everybody working together for the betterment of all right and that's why that's why i i I don't i don't dive too much into I mean, I mean, the, the the concern being is that there might be a certain point where it's going to have like the 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 left may get their race war. You know, it may happen yeah. where you know, like I I I'm gonna have to look at society and think like, can my children even go to college? Will they be allowed to go to college because they're white? Like, well, that, the, 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 that the, unfortunately is in the works. Yeah. If you are white or Asian, interestingly, right. you are essentially discriminated against by the government in, well, not only the government, but by colleges. You were discriminated against in your ability to go to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, a white student or an Asian student both need dramatically higher test scores to get accepted to things like law school and, and medical school. Whereas if you are a black or a Hispanic, you can have dramatically lower test scores and get accepted to those same institutions, which essentially means that you have people that never should get accepted, should have gotten accepted, beating out more qualified candidates simply on the basis of race. Additionally, you have this in the in the uh, private sector. Again, through uh, a lot of this is through government action, where the government says has a bunch of rules that any government contract has to go, has to consider minority-owned businesses first. So if your son wanted to start a business that relied on government contracts, he would be unable to do that because he would not be a minority and he will never be able to have that business because he will always be undercut by minority-owned businesses who will get considered first. So he could work for a minority-owned business, but he would never be able to own that business because he would not be considered a minority. Additionally, you uh, have the military where 
That, oh. is, that is a huge mechanism for social up, uh, upward movement, especially through the officer corps. But Biden's newest pick for the Joint Chiefs of Staff is an Air Force general named uh, General Brown. And one of the main things he wants to do is reduce the number of white officers, reduce the representation of white officers in the uh, Air Force. He wants to cut the white officers by 10 percent and replace them with 10 percent more minorities. And this is a big problem because things like pilots are 80, something like 85 percent white. Mm-hmm. And that would have to be reduced dramatically and well, replaced with new colored officers. Do, do you do you do you have the numbers on that? Yes, I do. Let me just grab them here. They're across the room. Here we are. <laughs> So, good old General Brown here, and this is it. This is what his office released as well. So it's not. This is not just some crazy nonsense that I made up. Well, and this but, is this is the general that um, Biden's considering for the Joint Chiefs of Staff to replace uh, Miley. Yeah. Okay. okay. General Brown's quotas. It, so basically, he wants to to. The thing is, there already are racial quotas in the United States military, especially amongst the officer corps. So we'll start there, that that situation already exists. It's not about qualified candidates. It's about racial quotas. Um, And it's the most qualified members amongst those racial quotas. Right. Brown's quota limits would limit the number of white officers to 67 percent and cut white men down to only 43 percent. So only 43 percent of officers in the U.S. and this was in the Air Force. Right. With officers in the Air Force and Space Force, only 43% could be men, and only 67% could be white men or women. Air Force Officer Corps is currently 77% white. Getting it down to 67%, a reduction of 10%, would require a serious effort to purge white officers and bar the door to any new entries. Ah, so if your son wanted to go be an <laughs> officer in the Air Force, he might be barred from entry in simply because of the color of his skin. Reducing the number of white men in the officer corps to a minority, 43%, would cripple the service and wipe out generations of talent, especially when 86% of pilots are white men. How do you replace all of those white pilots who have been doing their job for for up to a couple decades now with a bunch of minorities? It would it would require decades to rebuild that service, but we want to do this overnight in the name of equity, which is only going to have a deleterious impact on the service, especially when you think of the military has to operate as a team. The whole point is you're operating as a team. You're all in this together. You're all it's a basically and the, the as soon as it stops being a meritocracy, you start getting huge amount of you start getting resentments. And that is the most corrupt, corrosive thing to team cohesion that you can possibly have. And so there's no way that that moves like this do not absolutely negatively affect the combat capability of the U.S. military in a very negative way. Because it affects the entire organization top to bottom and fills it with resentment and competition in a way that it was as is absolutely unnecessary. Well, yeah, no, and 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 yeah, it, it, well, and that's exactly it. But that's also kind of the point. Like, for the left, yeah. that's the point. Um, mm-hmm. 
which is amazing. But speaking, sorry, speaking of the Air Force, I can't, I can't help but um, uh, there, there was a great example in the media, of or not in the media, but well, yeah, in the media to really show how people can spin a story. And so okay. let me let me explain. Uh, there, there's a lot of talk about Ukraine getting F, um, what is it, F, 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 fourteens. F-16s. F-16s. I don't know why I thought 14. Yes. I'm out of my mind. Well, there's a lot of names. Yeah, so it's the F-16s. So so the U- Ukrainians are supposed to be getting F-16s. And what's amazing mm-hmm. is that typically um, flight training for an F-16 um, takes 18 months. You know, right. so it's a, it's a year and a half to do flight training for an F-16. Well, obviously, mm-hmm. if Ukraine's going to be getting a bunch of F-16s, they're going to have to you know train up quick. So they want to be they want to train them in a month. The reality of four, what is four a, months, four months, four months, four months. Oh yeah, I'm so yeah, sorry. So it was uh, it, it basically I turned it um, into weeks. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, President, so President Biden told G7 leaders on Friday that Washington supports joint allied training programs for Ukrainian pilots on F-16s. So and the and it would be a four month training program, which is a drastic cut from the traditional 18 months to become a qualified F-16 pilot. And I'm assuming that that 18 months assumes that you are already a competent pilot. So I would mm-hmm. I don't know this for a fact, but it see I would imagine that it is something like you are a trained qualified pilot and that has graduated flight school. You are now going to spend 18 months learning how to specifically fly an F-16. I'm not certain the Ukrainian pilots that we are putting in F-16s. I don't know what their, what their previous status would even be. Mm -hmm. Are these people that have graduated a, a rigorous flight training program or are they essentially conscripts that have gone through a basic flight training program and will get a even more basic f-16 flight program right at minimum we are talking about taking ukrainian pilots and giving them a crash course in flying f-16s and then shoving f-16s at ukraine and hoping that that's somehow going to turn the tide Right. Well, and, and the whole idea here is, well, so the the point is that they're obviously they're speeding them through the course to try to get them off the ground as fast as possible. This all makes right. sense. Like there's there's a logic there. Like we need them like on the you know, we need them in the air like yesterday. So that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. But what's the way that it's being twisted? What's the spin that they're putting on it? Things yeah. like saying from NATO sources. Yeah, from NATO sources. Ukrainians learn F-16 in four months rather than the expected 18. Can we please stop doubting them? It's like a Ukrainian pilots are so amazing. It only takes them a fraction of the time to learn how to fly an F-16 versus a U.S. pilot. Right. Which, of course, the reality of that is, is nope, it's taking them four months because they're speeding them through the course. And then you're lying. And it's just this it's this ever increasing, especially with this whole Ukrainian war and the U.S. participation in it is this increasingly bizarre effort to twist reality and just present these things that are absolute lies in order to make people, I guess, feel better about Ukraine when reality is Ukraine is not going to win this. That just doesn't make sense. And additionally, 
a lot of what we've seen, especially in the last week, has been proving that Russia is increasingly having more and more successes. Uh, for example, uh, one of the big major stories last week is there is the uh, Patriot missile system. It is the United States' premier anti-air and anti-ballistic missile defense platform. These things are all over U.S. bases all around the world. They are the SAM system that the United States uses, um, especially for more close-in defense. All bases all around the Middle East are covered with them. We sell them to tons of NATO countries. They are the NATO like premier medium range SAM system that also is made to shoot down ballistic missiles, um, ballistic missiles and cruise missiles. Very important that these things work. Russia, we recently gave two systems to Ukraine who set them up to basically defend against Russian cruise missiles. Well, one of them was just blown up by Russia. And this is a big deal because these systems are touted as being able to defeat anything Russia can throw against them. And Russia basically just blew one up with a hypersonic weapon that they're supposedly to have, don't have and doesn't work. Now, maybe the Ukrainians were bad at operating the system, which certainly seems possible. Additionally, the systems are static and in place, which in a fluid, high, high maneuver, highly maneuverable uh, combat situation like what exists in modern combat, anything that sits in one place is easy to identify and destroy. But the point is the Russian Russian weapons and tactics have, have proven that they are capable of defeating modern U.S. systems that we tell the rest of NATO are basically a cheat code that make you invincible. Now, that's and that's a problem. Additionally, in the last week, Russia launched hit a a uh, Ukrainian command post and possibly and severely wounded, if not killed, the commander in chief of the Ukrainian armed forces, who just the day prior had a telephone conversation with, uh, I believe it was, with a bunch of U.S. generals. He had a telephone kind of Skype call conversation with U.S. Uh, chief of staff and, and generals. And the next day he was blown up by a Russian cruise missile. And additionally, Russia just took the city of Bakhmut, which mm -hmm. for the last few months has been this huge battle in this in this war. The Ukrainians sources kept claiming this is that we're going to turn the tide. Russia's losing so many troops. Their Wagner like private military company is being completely obliterated in Bakhmut. And the reality was all the Russian sources were correct. Russia took the city. They cr smashed the armed forces of Ukraine defending it. They cut off the road leading out of it, and it was, a, it was basically a rout. And Ukraine just expended huge numbers of troops and precious NATO ammunition stocks in a lost cause battle that we, the public in the United States and Europe, kept being lied to about, saying, well, they didn't do nothing. They're, 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 so, they're doing such a great job. We're going to win this one, guys. Now, it turns out the Russians were right. The Russian sources kept saying, we are making advances in Bakhmut. We are slowly grinding down Ukrainian sources. We have cut off their retreat from the city. And while the U.S. media kept saying those things are lies, they're Russian propaganda, it turns out they were true. None of this looks good for NATO and Ukraine. And it does look good for Putin and Russia. Well, <coughs> and therein lies... The <clears throat> therein lies the greatest problem that we're going to run into, which is the fact that there is a strong encouragement, if not a just 
absolute direct like th there is going to be a comeuppance of some kind that is going to occur when it comes to Ukraine because everyone is being lied to. And so at some point, yeah. those lies are going to come to a head. This is something that is going to have to be addressed and going to need to be dealt with because the United States, basically citizens of the United States are being lied to by their leaders about Ukraine. They've turned Ukraine right. into a it, into an Avengers movie, into a Netflix special, and they're going to pretend as if there's it's already done, the war's already over, it's just a matter of waiting until the final credits to figure out that Ukraine is won. And what happens? How do you continue the lie and the gaslighting when Russia just continues its advances? And additionally, right. How do you continue the lying and the gaslighting when, number one, so let's just put everything into context real quick. Um, we still don't have a settlement on the debt ceiling. So yeah, the House Republicans have presented a plan that shows how we can satisfy our debt ceiling. Like, okay, we will raise the debt ceiling to ensure that the United States can pay its debts, but it is going to come with cuts in spending. And mm -hmm. Biden has refused to accept that. Uh, right. Biden wants to basically unilaterally just raise the debt ceiling with absolutely no safeguards uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to spending. So much so, well, and real quick, while we're on the subject, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll get into the Ukraine stuff as well. But while we're on the subject, this is how this is what Biden said. This is how Biden plans on doing anything when it comes to raising the debt ceiling. This is what he's the most angry about. Here's a clip of him. It's disappointing that our discussions in the congressional Republicans have not been willing to discuss raising revenues, but the policy differences between the parties should not stop Congress from avoiding default. Raising revenues. Notice he had to use those words. That's a, that's a weird way of talking about it. It's not normally how, how uh, politicians refer uh, to what, what Biden there is discussing. What, what does he mean by raising revenues? Do you know, Alan? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. It's taxes. He means taxes. Oh. But for some reason, for some reason, he wasn't willing to say that. He said raise revenues. Why? Right. Because what you can't do as President Biden is go and say, well, the Republicans are refusing to acknowledge the capability of raising taxes because, of course, every American is going to go, what if you just spent less? Why do you have to keep taking more of my money? Notice yeah. that. I mean, isn't that weird? Like he said, raise revenues. Why? Because ignorant, dumb liberals will just gloss over that because the whole point of it is most well, the Republicans fault. But what's well, if only we were just taxing the rich more then we'd have enough money. Right. Now, the problem that we run into is or not run into. Well, the problem that we run into is we're still also trying to fund this forever war in Ukraine. And they're yeah. guaranteeing even more money to Zelensky and Zelensky's wandering around doing apparently the only thing that Zelensky does as the president of Ukraine is go to different countries and beg for money. Right. And money a, that 
honestly is not being well used. For example, like I said, those Patriot missile systems, in when Russia destroyed the system, it fired off 30 interceptor rockets in its own defense. Uh, none of them stopped the Kinzhal hypersonic missile that obliterated the station, uh, but those rockets cumulatively cost $90 million. Right. So where's all this money going in Ukraine? What are we getting people getting for their return on investment? This is, I mean, I would have thought that this would have ended a long time ago with everyone going, okay, but seriously, like, you're never going to win this. We should try to figure out a way to sue for peace and solve this at the diplomatic level because all we're going to do is dump military hardware into Ukraine to be ground up in the conflict. And at the end of the day, we're never going to get anything out of it because Russia has just Russia will be able to out attrition Ukraine to a near infinite to a to a degree that they just win. Russia has more troops. They have more tanks. They have more trained crews. They have more industry. And so if it's a war of attrition, Ukraine gets has to will have to send every man and woman and weapon they have into the fire. And Russia will still have more at the end of the day. And so it, this you conflict never should have gotten this far. It should have started with NATO immediately going, OK, look, after a week of conflict, it should be what is it going to take for Russia to halt their advance? How do we come to a settlement? Which honestly would have been as simple as saying we are no longer going to admit like is saying Ukraine is going to be a neutral border between our two power blocks. And I think Russia probably would have accepted that if it meant they didn't have to keep fighting in Ukraine. That's really been their goal the entire time is the reconquest of Russian of the Russian areas of Ukraine and making Ukraine a neutral border between Russia and and NATO. Right. But instead, we have Zelensky continuing to go around the world begging for money for some reason. Right. Well, and and that's that's the um, yeah, that that's. Well, and of course, he he was at the G7 for some reason. He's not a G7 country, but of course, he shows up for photo right. ops in his fucking John Fetterman outfit. Um, like, how is this not the same yeah. thing? Like, okay, John Fetterman is is getting made fun of because he showed up at a press conference in his signature Always. basketball shorts and uh, hoodie, whereas Zelensky's constantly wandering around in his like polo shirt that's been made to look like some sort of military shirt because it has like the the velcro patches and dumb shit on it but it's actually just a long sleeve polo shirt and you know his like stubbly beard and his short haircut that is constantly kept nice and trim right um and of course his you know his outfits are laundered and clean so this is all just pr and it's 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 frustrating it's frustrating that people aren't noticing this, that they're being so actively people, played. Yeah. Like the fact that the fact that most people, if I brought this up, would go, well, his country's under war. I'm like, yeah, he's at the Vatican meeting the Pope. He can probably put on a tie for that one. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah, of course. He So he goes and meet, he goes and, and, and meets the Pope because uh, this is this is the big one right he goes and meets the pope and of yeah. course he wears his his normal uh, like, uh, do, do, like do, i'm a his uh, his his normal i'm in a bunker in a war zone attire yeah cuz he's wearing his olive drab pants and his he's got a black sweater 
on uh, a black sweatshirt on this time with the Ukrainian flag on it. It's like, do you not own suits anymore? Like, and that, by the way, let, let me remind you, take a look at his hair every time. He gets regular haircuts. His, right. his clothing is pressed and clean. It is bullshit. It is a bullshit image. They are trying to make him look like something from a Netflix movie and people should be disgusted by it. Any, and just so you know, this, this is the thing that infuriates me the most, like more than the war itself. I can understand people supporting Ukraine in the war. I refuse to even acknowledge it with the amount of propagandist lies that are coming yeah. with it. That's the problem. I can totally understand someone's opinion. I can't accept it any longer because the amount of propagandist lying that is going on and how obvious it is. It disgusts me that Americans pretend like this isn't happening. And I find it absolutely offensive that Americans mm-hmm. want like that, that, that other, that my fellow Americans can look me in the face and pretend like I don't see what's happening, but he goes and meets with the Pope. Now I'm, I'm a Catholic, but I'm not a huge fan of our Pope. Now, um, what's interesting is he went to meet with the Pope to ask the Pope for his blessing for Ukraine in the war. And of course the Pope was like, no, no. <laughs> I don't do that. I will pray for peace. I will give a blessing for peace. I want peace because maybe this is a shock to Vladimir Zelensky, but um, it's the fucking Pope. Yeah. Like, dude's not going to jump on your war wagon, buddy. I don't know what dumbass forgot to tell you that part, uh, but he's the Pope. So, of course, that happened. Uh, so the Pope was like, nope, going to pray for peace. Well, then they exchanged gifts. Now, I want to remind people because I just, uh, I'm, I'm going to make the juxtaposition here because uh, if it was anything else, this would be a national news story. Remember, one of the big things that a lot of people like to bring up is the fact that Zelensky is Jewish. Zelensky's the Jewish president of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Zelensky gives a gift to the Pope, the head of the Catholic Church. He bestows upon him an Eastern Orthodox icon, which is already kind of weird because he's Catholic, not Eastern Orthodox. But hey, they have Eastern Orthodox in Ukraine, so it's something from Ukraine. Totally fine, whatever. But it was an Eastern Orthodox icon of Madonna with child, which is Mary with the baby Jesus. And for those of you who haven't seen them, Greek and Orthodox icons, by the way, are extremely beautiful, very pretty artwork, but it's not just artwork to them. These are legitimately, these are things that they use uh, to encourage prayer in the Orthodox community. Whereas like Catholics may, uh, Catholics will pray to saints um, and ask for their intercession. They have statues of saints sometimes and things like that, especially statues of Madonna uh, being Mary. Anytime you go into a church, there will likely be a statue of Mary somewhere that you would be able to to pray in front of. Um, that's a normal Catholic thing. And the, the Orthodox do the same things with these icons. Well, in this image of Madonna with child, Christ is totally blacked out. Christ is right, a black as if someone took silhouette. Black ink and completely colored in the little figure of little 
figure of baby Jesus. Yeah, it is a black silhouette or a black outline of baby Jesus. So, of course, like, what the hell's going on? Why did the Jewish president of Ukraine just give the Pope a religious icon where Christ the Messiah, you know, the biggest differentiating feature between Judaism and Christianity is totally blacked out as if he doesn't exist. You know, Christ the Redeemer. Yeah, either defaced or non-existent, a non-acknowledgement because shock to everybody, the Jews don't believe the Messiah came, you know, because they don't believe in Jesus. Well, the claim for this, what could be considered an erasure of the Messiah or a defacement of the Messiah was Jesus is outlined in black to represent the loss of Ukrainian children. Yeah, it's mm. this the lost Ukrainian children. That's what this is about. So, it, which is, I understand, but it still comes across very weird. So I don't, and you know why? Why not? So, at zero point, with any even minimal education or consultation with anyone, whether it be Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Catholic, any person you would have talked to, guess what Jesus Christ never, ever, ever, ever represents? What's that? Loss. Christ Hmm. represents resurrection everlasting life he never represents loss ever he is the opposite of loss the entire narrative of the resurrection of jesus christ is that we do not lose people due to death oh that makes sense sure you either have to be a complete idiot or willfully being an asshole. Like this is so close to the opposites that I own. Like it is very difficult for me not to think that this was intentional. That's all I'm saying. This was, would you say it is possibly heretical? It's so blatantly defiant. It's so, it's so blatantly defiant, but easily played off Mm -hmm. that look, I'm not trying to start a conspiracy theory here, but the point is, is that it's like, it's almost so blatantly defiant and opposite of actual doctrine that like, it's, it's almost unfathomable for me to think that someone could have stumbled on something this offensive accidentally. Mm, Yeah, I can see that. And of course, now, what did Pope Francis gift Zelensky? He gifted he give him a bronzed olive branch. Oh, that's nice. You know, a symbol of peace. Which, of course, yeah. and that's the problem. What, Like, the Ukrainians in the West and NATO are all upset because the Pope did not bless the war in Ukraine. Did not bless Ukraine for victory. He blessed peace because he's the Pope and you're an idiot. And I can't help but think that that's part of the reason why they did this. They knew the Pope was not going to give a blessing to one side or the other in a war. That's ridiculous. I think that they also wanted to do this photo op because Zelensky's Jewish. 
And because Zelensky's Jewish, it will naturally harken back to Pope Pius during the Nazis uh, in mm. um, the Nazis and, and the fascists in Italy, where Pope Pius said, look, not going to get involved and actually painted a white line around the Vatican. Oh, interesting. And remain neutral because the Vatican did not want to get involved in warfare, which is something that regularly during like religious debates and things, the Jews will constantly bring up about the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church didn't get involved like everybody else in World War II. <coughs> now, if we're going to be completely honest, if the Catholic Church had gotten involved, it would have been completely destroyed. Well, it depends on which side they got involved in, but yeah. Right. Like, like, like they're in Italy for God's sakes. Like the Vatican's in Italy. An an incredible amount of Catholics were, a lot of clergy were killed. Like these things occurred. Well, and also which side do you take? Because guess, guess what? The Soviets were actively murdering priests. Exactly. The the Catholic Church in the World War II was in a very unenviable position, and they kind of just picked the middle ground. They honestly picked the one that best preserved the church. Yes. And also, as Stalin is quoted as saying, how many divisions does the Pope have? Well, even if the Catholic Church had picked the side, would that really have changed the outcome of any of the conflict? Hard to say, but... It's not like the Catholic Church could have mobilized the Swiss Guard and taken, you know, taken Berlin by Christmas. Right. So, um, yeah, that's 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 the joy and a half on all of that. Anyway, that but that's that's the idiocy of of you know, of course, the uh, Zelensky's world fundraising tour for UNICEF or whatever he's doing. It's just, right. which I, fall which falls very flat. It falls flat with a lot of places because he whines about war crimes that the Russians are doing in front of a bunch of people. He's like, like he whines about war crimes in front of. I think he went into a the Arab League, so it's Saudi Arabia and Syria and all these people, and he's whining about Russian war crimes, and they all just kind of roll their eyes and go, "Well." Why do I care about what's happening in Ukraine? I'm Saudi Arabia. I'm right. Syria. Like, we don't care about this. And if anything, we support Russia in this because your benefactor is America that threw our region in conflict for the last 20 years. Right. Well, and, and, and yeah, and, and so... But of course, you know, like I said, we're, we're kind of hurtling into a default here um, because Biden doesn't want to sign. Actually, let me let me just put it this way. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll distill down the entire thing when it comes to the government shutdowns and, and all of that. Um, if the left believes that they can get enough people to support them by to get if the left believes that enough people will support the claim that it's Republicans' fault uh, that we defaulted, then they will allow the government to shut down and they will allow the government to default. If the left believes that it will somehow hurt uh, Joe Biden's reelection chances, then he's going to make a deal. What it's not based on, what this decision is not based on at all whatsoever, what it is not based on is whether or not there's a good plan, whether or not there's a way to handle the budget. It is solely based on whether or not 
they can blame the Republicans. If they think that it will give them electoral clout to default the government and enough people will believe that it's the fault of the Republican Party, then they will default this country. They will do that 100%. That is the decision that's being made. There's not a decision on what the best path forward is. There's not a decision on which which uh, uh, a program should get funded, which should not. The only thing that matters to the Biden White House when it comes to the debt is whether or not defaulting would harm the Republicans more than uh, agreeing would harm the Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. So don't don't allow yourself to get lost in the sauce on what's a better plan because the plan doesn't matter to Joe Biden. Most definitely. He doesn't care at all. But I have a long clip to play for you all um, because but it, it really, really encapsulates a lot of what happened this week. It's basically the best way for me to show information. And what it is, is this is uh, it, it, this is information that came out from the um, House Government Weaponization Committee uh, hearings that happened this week. And it's Matt Gates who is conducting a press conference and explaining the testimony that occurred in front of the United States Congress from FBI whistleblowers. It's about it's almost nine minutes long, but honestly, I don't think a bit of this should be cut out. And you all deserve to hear every aspect of of what was found out from these whistleblowers. And then after that, we'll get into the attacks that these people are facing. So uh, here's the clip from that press conference. Maybe. Huh. Let me see if I can get the audio to play nice. Because why would it play nice, Alan? Why indeed. Thank you, Chairman Jordan, for your leadership. The FBI has been victimized by political capture. And that politicization has manifested in the targeting of Americans who never deserve to have this government weaponized against them. Whistleblowers saw those bad acts. They stepped forward and they were retaliated against and crushed as a consequence. And our work today will build on the work of special counsel Durham, who said recently that at the FBI, there is confirmation bias and overwillingness to rely on information from individuals connected to political opponents and action without appropriate objectivity. Uh, there, uh, one of the whistleblowers we'll hear from today served in the United States Marine Corps, served as a local cop, Garrett O'Boyle, and uh, this is uh, his testimony regarding that political capture. Do you believe that the FBI has become political? I do. I think most people out in the field um, trying to avoid that politicization of of the agency, which I, which is good, but it's gotten to a point. It seems to me that uh, it's 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 like a cancerous point where the FBI has let itself become enveloped in this politicization and weaponization that I don't know how uh, to to even begin to to fix it. One group that saw that weaponization work against them were Catholics. The FBI 
field office in Richmond put out a memo saying that violent extremists would find the Catholic ideology attractive and would attempt to connect with Catholic adherents, that extremists uh, would show an interest in Catholic congregations over the next 12 to 24 months leading up to the presidential election. Isn't that an interesting coincidence? And the memo calls for the FBI to develop sources within Catholic congregations uh, to try to obtain information about those folks. Another group that saw weaponization turn against them, parents who attended school board meetings. Uh, you'll hear today from Steve Friend, who worked for the FBI and actually found himself ridiculed at his own FBI office because he, too, was a parent who attended a school board meeting. This is Steve Friend. Given your law enforcement background, does knowing that you could be investigated by the FBI for speaking up at your child's school board meeting chill parents from exercising their First Amendment rights? Yes. And you said you had attended a school board meeting and you were nervous that you could be under federal investigation. Is that correct? Yes, my colleagues teased me about it. Americans who were in Washington, D.C. on January 6th who committed no crimes, who simply attended a rally, also saw the FBI weaponized against them. George Hill was an FBI uh, employee working out of the Boston field office, and he talks about the pressure that the Washington field office was putting on Boston, and when they tried to get predicate evidence, they couldn't get it for a very interesting reason. This is George Hill. Joe Bonavolante said, no, we're not opening up cases on people who went to a rally. And I forgot a the SSA for CT2 said, happy to do it, show us where they were inside the Capitol, and we'll look into it. To which WFO said, we can't show you those videos unless you can tell us the exact time and place those individuals were inside the Capitol. To which the SSA responded back, and I was privy to these conversations firsthand, why can't you show us, why can't you just send us, give us access to the 11,000 hours of video of this event? Because there may be, may be, UCs, undercover officers, or CHS's confidential human, or confidential human sources on those videos whose identity we need to protect. Marcus Allen, an FBI analyst who did work around evidence, sharing it with folks, he saw videos that concerned him about the federal government's own involvement in January 6th. Here's Marcus Allen. Video to me indicated uh, uh, potential problems uh, with the uh, investigation as far as informants uh, were concerned and uh, our organization's uh, potential forthrightness about utilization of informants there on that day that might have some impact on our cases um, and the you know the subjects that we were looking up and then just a general awareness overall for the investigation as a whole that there might have been some kind of uh, potential federal involvement with the activities on January 6th and I thought it was important enough that it like wanted our attention. So much of the good work happening at the FBI is throughout this country, and a lot of the rot the committee has learned emerges out of headquarters and out of the Washington field office. Garrett O'Boyle described the conflict that existed as the Washington field office put pressure on other field offices around the country to engage in law enforcement work without predication. This is Mr. O'Boyle. Did the WFO pressure 
other field offices to keep generous cases open or open cases? I would say they pressured um, pressured us to open cases uh, to some degree. Um, one example that I have personally, I, I made this, this is one of my protective disorders, so I'll just touch on it a little bit. But um, I received a lead about someone based on an anonymous tip, and in law enforcement, anonymous tips don't hold very much weight, especially without evidence that you can corroborate uh, pretty easily. I wasn't able to corroborate anything they said. Um, even after speaking with uh, the person, they alleged potential criminal behavior of them. While I'm trying to figure all that out, I get another lead from the same agent who sent me that lead. And um, they, they essentially tried to get me to violate policy or law trying to get people to break the law without sufficient predication is a weaponization of our government and all Americans suffer when resources are misallocated when stats are padded following 9-11 the FBI set up all of these terrorism entities to look outward at people abroad who might seek to harm our country but a lot of those authorities were turned inward against our own people and the result was stat padding for the purpose of FBI officials trying to convince Congress that the violent extremism threat was more enhanced than it indeed was, and we got critical testimony on that point also from Mr. O'Boyle. As a DT agent, I encountered similar um, stat padding or case bolstering. Truth be told, it was one case, like, but the FBI had me open up four different cases um, because they had me open a case for every individual that I had a um, articulable factual basis that there may have been um, potential federal law being violated. Or like on a criminal case, say you're working like a gang, which is, this case was, I guess, like a militia. Um, if you're working like a gang, you have a case open on a gang, and you have a subfile for each person in it. Like, if, you, know, you know, John Doe 1, 2, and 3, they would all have their own subfile. Or in my case, John Doe 1, 2, 3, and 4 all had their own separate case because then the FBI could, from my perspective, the FBI could come back to Congress and say, look at all the domestic terrorism we've investigated. But really, I was working one case, but the FBI can then say, well, he actually had four. So we, you know, he should give us more money because look at how big of a threat all this domestic terrorism is. Padding the stats to try to showcase a problem that is overemphasized political capture and political infection of our law enforcement. These brave patriots spoke up about it. They'll be testifying to our committee today, and my colleagues will now discuss some of the intense and depraved retaliation that they had to experience, and I'd recognize my colleague from Florida, Kat Kamek, to share some of those thoughts with us. So what you just heard was different clips of uh, the FBI whistleblowers and everything that's going on there. Um, you know, and, and a lot of this is stuff that we already knew, right? They're padding the statistics, uh, you know, like instead of there being one case, every single person has their own case. So then the FBI can claim that domestic violent extremism is, you know, way more prevalent in the United States. And therefore we need more funding and focus and, 
you know, all of that, as well as, you know, committing illegal acts. And another, like one of the, one of the bigger revelations here, that's also not really surprising to people like us, but that is the, you know, we can't give you video footage to uh, look through to kind of help you do your job um, because it might give away uh, FBI sources, meaning that they were there. They were in uh, the the entire January 6th situation. Like there are there there were enough FBI people involved that they were afraid of other FBI agents being able to see those agents, that kind of thing. But at the end yeah. of the day, it's not just like not only did this come out this week, but so did John Durham's report. And what John Durham's report showed is that for the last five years, the Democrat Party and the media has been, as we know, but has been actively lying to the American people and knowingly lying to the American people. And let me explain. Obviously, we've torn apart the entire Russian collusion narrative, pointed out how it was bullshit, how it was ill-gotten gains. And we even explained from, you know, former being former intelligence professionals exactly how they were able to obtain the information uh, by using foreign sources. What was left unknown at the time was how deep it went when it came to did were Democrats just told something and basically fed a line of bullshit that they believe Democrats being the politicians, the activists, the media groups, were they fed a line of bullshit that they just accepted and went along with, or did they continue to peddle a knowingly false narrative and everything that's come out. And obviously there's a lot, it's something like 306 pages Everything that's come out in the Durham investigation points solely to the fact that many of the politicians, many of the media personalities, many of the people within the D.C. circles and the Democrat National Committee who stated that they knew that there was Russian collusion, knew they were lying when they said that. Hillary Clinton is quoted in the Durham investigation stating that she never actually saw any evidence of Russian contacts with the Trump campaign. John Brennan, the CIA director, briefed Barack Obama, briefed Jake Sullivan, briefed uh, Valerie Jarrett, and briefed Joe Biden in the White House that Hillary Clinton had a plan in her campaign to tie Donald Trump to Russia to in an attempt to win the presidential election in 2016. That was briefed to the highest members of the executive branch. And they still, oh, and sorry, James Comey as well. And they still went forward with crossfire hurricane not because they thought they got additional evidence they went forward with crossfire hurricane because they thought it would help hillary clinton and they thought it would hurt donald trump and because they knew the u.s media was totally on their side and would not fact check them which would prevent any negative blowback from doing something this 
illegal and disingenuous. Right. So there are regular Americans who believed that Donald Trump was compromised by the Russians. Mm-hmm. And it was because they were told a lie. Now, this is the perfect operation because the way, like, as it stands now, the media spent all this time lying to all these people. Now, do you think that the media is going to turn around and suddenly tell all those people that this report coming out from John Durham actually points out that we, the media, have been lying to you for the last five years about everything and we didn't do our due diligence. We didn't follow up on anything. We didn't even look into it. We just believed it and ran with it and we were played like a fiddle or actively, more likely, actively went along with it, knowing it was a lie and not caring. Is the media going to do that? Absolutely not. That's why the Democrats compromised the media. That's exactly why they did it. The media is not going to put their own credibility on the platter at all. Not going to happen. Right. For the mainstream media to cover the revelations that came out in the Durham report, every single news channel would have to acknowledge that they lied. So they're not going to. So what that means is if you want your fellow Americans to know the truth of what happened, you're going to have to share it because they're not going to find it anywhere else. ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, all of those groups, they're never going to report it in its in its full totality because they would also have to acknowledge that they lied and they will not do that. Right. But it's going to make for a very interesting uh, election season uh, heading into the next election because Donald Trump's likely going to be, at, at least in the beginning, a front runner heading into this next uh, this next election, as well as obviously the primaries. So what's going to happen is all of these liberals are going to try to, you know, they're they're going to suddenly tune back into politics because let's be honest, Joe Biden is such an absolute dismal embarrassment that a lot of them tuned out. Um, so they're going to tune back into politics and they're going to start their nonsense of, uh, you know, talking about, you know, uh, Donald Trump's a Putin puppet and they're going to get absolute, absolutely lambasted by Republicans with quotes from their heroes, Adam Schiff and, uh, Hillary Clinton and, uh, you know, John Brennan and, and all of these other people that were interviewed. That said, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we didn't actually have any evidence. We never saw anything. Well, and what, to me, this the biggest deal about this is it's not only that they didn't have evidence and didn't see it's that what they did was, ext- was extremely illegal. Yeah. They violated the civil rights. They broke the Constitution. They violated the civil rights of Donald Trump and everyone in his campaign with, essentially, they, um, what's the amendment? Unreasonable search and seizure? Yeah. Yeah. They 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 violated the Constitution. And all of this is highly illegal because it violates the Constitution when the government does this. And they 
they illegitimately violated these the civil rights of an entire political organization because it was opposition. And I am going to start referring in my private conversations to the NSA, FBI. Instead of saying the deep state, I'm going to start using the term the secret police. The U.S. secret, the, the American secret police right. colluded with the Democrat Party to stop a to stop their opposition. Because that's exactly what happened. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and yeah, you're right. That is, that is exactly what happened. And the problem is, is that there's almost no recourse. Yeah. I mean, that's just something that it's just it, it's just something you're going to have to accept right now. Is Joe Biden's Department of Justice going to charge a single person for this? Absolutely not. They can't. They can't because it implicates people all the way up to the top. Right. Joe, Joe Biden was the. Joe Biden was the vice president when this happened. Exactly. Yeah, no, this is it, it, it's it's not going to happen. The best yeah. the best that can happen right now, and at least hopefully what's occurring is anyone that is even considering running for the presidency as a Republican for 2024 you would basically be a complete moron and deserve every, every awful thing that happens to you if one of your first orders of business isn't completely gutting the intelligence community and the FBI the minute you step foot in office. Yeah. If you don't and do that, you deserve everything that happens to you, and it will happen. Let's not pretend, because I know that there's a lot of conservatives out there that want to be like, well, I mean, if if Donald Trump wasn't so just gross and yucky, then the FBI wouldn't have been able to find stuff. Dude, they fabricated all of it. You don't think they're going to do that to Ron DeSantis? You're an idiot. Of course. You're a complete moron, and you don't des- like your vote shouldn't count as much as mine. Well... For things like this, the Republican Party needs to impeach Joe Biden because under his leadership as vice president, he basically was pr- promoting these illegal activities and hasn't taken anybody into account. It's like this sort of thing should be impeachable. It should cause an impeachment. It should. There needs to be ramifications. And if you were the Republican Party, you would be stupid. Yeah, it'd be impossible not to look at this and go. Simply for the American people to have trust and faith in their government, there has to be a serious reckoning for this these actions, or else the legitimacy of the U.S. government is at stake, or it has been completely blown out of the water. And you'd think the Republican Party would look at this and go, that is worse than being called mean names by Democrats who will use the secret police against your political party. Right. No, I mean, exactly. And, and that's, that's what needs to be handled. Something like basically something has to happen. The idea that nothing here is going to happen. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not holding out hope for it. Um, but on top of that, uh, we, we've talked before about these investigations. There was a whistleblower from the IRS who came out weeks ago, um, and mentioned that they had seen, uh, a lot of criminal act. Basically the IRS investigation into Hunter Biden was basically being stonewalled um, because Hunter Biden is the son of the president of the United States. 
And so that whistleblower filled out a disclosure and is, of course, being attacked because any whistleblowers that are showing Democrat corruption are all being attacked by. Remember, you know, during the Trump campaign, whistleblowers lied. Um, yeah. um, who is that? Who is that fat fuck? Um, Vindeman. Vindeman. Yeah. Vindeman lied. He lied. He lied. He yeah. f- he lied. They they started impeaching Donald Trump on a lie. He was a liar. He never, he wasn't part of the phone call. He was, he, he was the person that they trotted out. And I, I shit you not in his testimony that he had to give to Congress under penalty of perjury. It was, oh, I talked to somebody who heard the phone call that, that was it. It was a lie. And then they had another one. I can't remember the, the, the lady's name. But do you remember right after, like, kind of uh, right after Trump left the presidency, it was like Donald Trump, like, jerked the wheel and tried to choke out a Secret Service agent and all this other nonsense? In a way that I always thought, so wait, Donald Trump was trying to choke out his personal security details so he could get to the Capitol on January 6th? Like, and this is supposed to make me dislike the guy? Right, yeah, like, Like, so super boss move. that has that much will and vitality that he's willing to choke out a secret service agent. I kind of don't care what political side they're on. That sounds awesome. Right. Well, turns out that was also bullshit. Oh, I, I, I actually heard somebody tell me that. And so the, so the, those are the whistleblowers that needed the utmost protection um, by the Democrat party. Those were the ones that needed the utmost protection. Um, so what's happening to whistleblowers who show Democrat corruption? Well, some of them are going to jail. Some of them are uh, are missing, like literally cannot be found. And all of these FBI agents who filled out pr- the proper disclosures, that is the that is the part the media leaves out. It's the part that the Democrats leave out. They filled out the proper disclosures to be considered whistleblowers. How are they being treated? They all lost their jobs. They all lost their jobs. They were retaliated against which is illegal and it needs to be handled right now, right now because they all got fired and the, and the Democrats are going to pretend like it just so happens to be a coincidence. It's just a big coincidence that every single one of these whistleblowers that's revealing corruption about the Biden regime are all getting fired. And it's just because what you see only the bad agents dislike Joe Biden it must be that all of these agents are actually just really shitty and then they all got fired and then they all banded together and started telling all these lies. That's really what's happening here because liberals are idiots. You'd have, you have to be a complete absolute dipshit to not be able to look at this and say, yeah, they're totally firing these people and punishing them for, you know, revealing corruption. Nope, 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 nope. It's all above board. Everything. They're just all bad agents. Every single one of them. Well, and to anyone that did that, I would say you were so gullible. You got fooled by the Russia hoax. Right. That I can look at and say, I can point to now and say to any of my liberal friends, you were fooled by this and I wasn't. You probably shouldn't speak about politics anymore yeah well um that's gonna have to be it for the show today but there is one last clip that i want to play for you all and this is uh it it perfectly uh encapsulates just how bad the democrat party is doing uh and how craven they are when it comes to seeking power we have people like biden who every time we play a clip of him it you know i have to cringe at how much he slurs 
uh, through it. Um, but in, in any time that you see the vegetable Fetiman, uh, you know, just wandering around like, you know, like he just woke up and rolled off of the couch in his therapist's office or, you know, out of whatever lab he was constructed by Nancy Pelosi in. Um, but also now you have uh, Senator Feinstein, Feinstein, who weirdly enough. Um, yeah, Senator Dianne Feinstein is being kept in the Senate Here's an exchange from when she came back to the Senate after a 10-week absence. What have you heard? What have I heard about what? About your return. How have they felt about your no, return? No, I haven't been gone. Okay. Um, <laughs> you should follow me. I haven't been gone. I've been working. You've been working from home is what you're saying? No, I've been here. Um, I've been voting. Please, either know or don't know. I haven't been gone. I've been here. I've been voting. But but you were in the hospital. But you weren't, though. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Is she confused? Has Maybe. she actually been there? That doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's certainly a cause for concern, right? It's a, It certainly seems like it should be. All right. Well... I'll tell you what, that's going to have to be it for today. Um, be sure to, of course, go into our Subscribestar over at Subscribestar.com forward slash Wrong Think Radio if you want to help sponsor the program and get access to our Discord and all that other fun stuff. And uh, don't forget, um, go support the uh, coffee brand who's a friend of ours. They're not a sponsor of the program or anything. Uh, but you can go pick them up at One Team, One Coffee if you've heard me pouring it or whatever. That's actually what I've been drinking. Um, you know, Great people, nice folk, uh, good coffee also. Um, but you can also check us out next week at noon, of course, every single Sunday here on Rumble. And be sure to share with your friends. I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. This is Wrong Think Radio. See you all next week.